0: Welcome into the What's Right with Nick Wright podcast YouTube show. Like, rate, subscribe, review. This is our special serialized edition of the show as we count down the 50 greatest NBA players of the last 50 years. If you missed our first episode in this series, we laid out the parameters. We told you the guys who were too old for the list. We told you the guys who just missed the cut on the list. And we gave you guys 50 and 49 were Bernard King and Carmelo Anthony heard their names called today we're going to give you the next five guys 48 through 44 there listen most of these names i'm certain you know there might be one name in particular you don't know but you damn well should so we will do all of that demanze who's my co-host sidekick if you will for the regular podcast will be shouting out the names and will at some point ask some questions we also have callers involved to ask some of the questions that you, the audience, are thinking about. But we will start with number 48, the 48th best player of the last 50 years in the NBA, one Tiny Nate Archibald. Number 48,
1: Tiny Archibald.
0: So Tiny Nate Archibald's resume reads as follows. He is three-time first-team All-NBA, three-time first-team All-NBA Two times second team All NBA. And the reason, if you do know his name, you probably know him when he was a Kansas City King, where he won a scoring and assist title in the same season. Averaged 34 and 11 that year. The only player in league history to ever win scoring and assist titles in the same season. I believe the only players to ever win it at any point in their careers are LeBron, Wilt, Harden and Russ, he did it in the same year. He also has two top five MVP finishes, and his his career is kind of into two parts, pre and post-Achilles. But before the Achilles injury, he averaged 27 and nine, not for a season, not for a couple seasons, but for six seasons. But you guys know we try to put a heavy emphasis in this show on postseason accomplishments. His postseason resume is thin. However, post Achilles injury, he went to Boston, and we don't think of him as Byrd McHale Parrish. That was the latter part of the 1980s. In 1981, you could argue during the Celtics playoff run that he was their second best player behind Larry Bird. Mikhail wasn't McHale yet. He averaged 15 and six during that playoff run. Again, arguably their second best guy. He was absolutely outstanding. In game seven of the 81 Eastern Conference Finals against a devastatingly good Philly team, Philly team that would win the title a couple years later, arguably the greatest team ever a couple years later once they get Moses. And 13 and 12 in the clinching game of the NBA Finals for Tiny Nate Archibald. His inclusion is somewhat controversial. I understand that. But five time first or second team All NBA, keep in mind, when people were arguing Clay Thompson got snubbed from the NBA's all time 75 list, and one of the first names they said should be taken off was Nate Archibald, Clay, zero time first or second team All NBA. Reggie Miller, who made the NBA's all 75 list, isn't making my top 50, zero time first or second team All NBA. I've had to listen to weeks of Kyrie Irving should have been top 75. Kyrie Irving, one time second team. Zero-time first team. So, Tiny Nate Archibald Demontse with three first teams, two second teams, two top five MVP finishes, a 34-11 and 11 year, and a key part of a champion. He's number 48 on the list. Go ahead.
1: Hey, I mean, Pops. We've talked basketball basically every single day since I've known you. Yeah. The name Tiny Archibald has never come up.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: Um, Paul Pierce, T-Mac, Ray Allen, maybe. Um, they've come up, but why is he here?
0: Okay, so T-Mac we've talked about. T-Mac, by the way, is the same number of first or second team All-NBAs as Archibald. He has five of them, just like Archibald. And and if T-Mac, at some point in his career, was a key piece of a champion the way Archibald was, he'd have made it. But the other guys you mentioned, Ray Allen, one time in his career was first or second team All-NBA. Paul Pierce, as as consistent as he was, one time in his career was first or second team All-NBA. So again, like you, you were not consistently, or even briefly, a consensus top ten guy. If you don't have more than one first, second All NBA team appearance, and a, am I giving him a little benefit of the doubt because of what he could have been if not for the Achilles? Yes, because thirty four and eleven is thirty four and eleven. Twenty seven and nine for six years is twenty seven and nine for six years. And can't argue. Well, the playoffs would have been too big for him. Not with what he did for the eighty one Celtics. That's why he comes in at number 48, which brings us down to a name everybody knows, number 47, one of the greatest rebounders and defensive players of all time, Dennis Rodman.
1: Number 47, Dennis Rodney. Now, his
0: individual accolades are slim. We talked just a moment ago about first and second team All-NBAs. He has zero, and he only has two time. He only two times was third team All-NBA. However, two-time defensive player of the year and that speaks to and we're going to talk about this how disrespected defense is on some of these end of year awards or lists twice he was considered the single best defensive player in basketball and yet none of those times was anyone like well that means he's got to be one of the 10 best players in the whole sport no that's not how it works seven time all defense first team another additional time all defense second team seven time rebounding champion. And where the majority of his real heft in deserving this ranking is his participation on great teams and his contribution to those teams. So Dennis played 14 years in the NBA. Nine of those 14, he made a conference finals. Six of those 14, he made an NBA finals. Five of those 14, he was an NBA champion. He played 169 career playoff games, 102 full seasons of playoff games, averaging 10 rebounds per game in those playoff games. He was a massive part of the mini dynasty in Detroit. He was a massive part of the final three championships for the Bulls with Michael. He In those three finals, he had to guard Sean Kemp, Carl Malone, Carl Malone, wear them out, tire them out, and make them work on on when they had the ball with, through his defense. And it is not a coincidence that despite the fact that he was not as good as he once was, and the Bulls were the two-time defending champs, that in 98, you saw it in the last dance, how much rope they gave him. Because they knew in the biggest spots they needed him. Also, it is interesting, because when you talk about the greatest defenders that are non-centers, greatest non-center defenders of the last 50 years, Dennis Rodman's going to come up. Scottie Pippen's going to come up. Not one of the greatest ever, but Ron Harper was a hell of a defender. What do all three of those guys have in common? Oh, they were all in the 96 to 98 Bulls together. That's very interesting because I you know, I was told Michael always guarded the other team. Was Michael guarding the fourth best player on the other team? I'm going to have to look into that. But Rodman was a massive part of winning throughout the entirety of his prime. And so I understand he doesn't have the traditional numbers that go along with a placement on this list. But he was such a dominant defensive force that I think there's no question he deserves to be on this list. I thought he got snubbed from the NBA's original top, all-time top 50. I'm glad he was included on the updated top 75. We'll take a caller on Dennis Rodman's career before we wrap up with him. What's up, Nick and Devonze? It's Ange from L.A. I'm a longtime Nick Wright stan, first-time caller. And my question for Nick is about Dennis Rodman. Can a guy who can't even score be top 50 of all time? To me, it's giving very much Draymond Green minus the passing plus the crazy red hair. Please weigh in. Tell me what's right. So Ange is right in this regard. He couldn't score, and he's not as good of a passer as Draymond Green. Now, Draymond also will see how many more titles he wins. We'll see how much longer his career goes. Draymond has a case to be on the next version of this list, 75 of the last 75, something like that. Like Draymond, I'm not dismissing him, but as good of a defender as Draymond is, Rodman, I feel, was a touch more impactful. In fact, of the last 50 years, the only two guys who are hands down better defenders than Dennis Rodman are Akeem Olajuwon and Tim Duncan. After that, there's, you know, Dennis is at least in the argument with everybody else. And that first title he won was Chicago. Again, I want to remind people how that series went. The Bulls, the 72 win Bulls, jumped out to a 3 0 series lead. And then only once they were down 0 3 did George Carl and his infinite wisdom let Gary Payton start to guard Michael Jordan. He gave Michael fits. I know Michael acted in the last dance like he didn't. Go look at the box scores. He gave Michael fits. And all of a sudden, Seattle wins game four. Then Seattle wins game five. Now all of a sudden, game six, it felt like the Bulls had to win it. Michael still. Is dealing with Gary Payton. And Dennis Rodman throws up a 9, 19, 5, and 3 while guarding Sean Kemp. Then the next two years in the finals guarded Carl Malone and gave Malone fits both series when Malone was had one and was winning MVPs in this league. So Dennis Rodman, if we're going to value defense at all, and you're one of the five greatest defensive players of the last 50 years. You've got to be one of the 50 greatest overall players of the last 50 years.
1: What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well.
0: All right, let's see the next guy on the list, very different player than Dennis Rodman, not known for his defense, instead known for his scoring, number 46, Dominique Wilkins.
1: Number 46, Dominique Wilkins.
0: So Dominique Wilkins is one-time first-team All-NBA, four-time second-team All-NBA, two-time third-team All-NBA. His honors are as follows. He was a scoring champion. For his career, he's 25 points per game. For a decade, he averaged 28 points per game. He's 14th on the all-time scoring list. He finished runner-up in the 1986 MVP voting, and he has two other top fives. Now the knock on Dominique. Never made round three. However, you've got to look at who knocked him out. He got knocked out twice by Milwaukee. And I promise you, you're about to be introduced to a player on that Milwaukee team that gets forgotten in history. But it was that Milwaukee team had Sidney Moncrief and Marcus Johnson. The Hawks were underdogs in both the series. They lost to them. They, they, They beat them once, but lost to them twice. Who else did they lose to? Well, they lost to Boston three times. Was Dominique supposed to beat Bird, Mikhail, No, he wasn't. Lost to him three times. Lost to Detroit twice. Was he supposed to beat those Pistons? He wasn't. Then in the 90s, when he was still relevant, guess who beat him in the 90s? The Bulls and Shaq's Magic. So you look at who was knocking a Dominique out. You want to crush him for not beating Milwaukee. I'd rather just give those Milwaukee players credit, which we're going to do shortly. But you're, you, he was outgunned, consistently outgunned. However, he did have a chance. 1988 was his chance. The Celtics were on their last legs. Now, I don't think they could have ever beaten that Pistons team, but in round two, 1988, epic series against Boston. They're up 3 2 on Boston, trying to send Boston home. Game six, Dominique goes 35, 10, and four, and they lose by two. Okay, so now game seven against Boston again. Game seven. This is your moment, Dominique. How are you going to respond? At the Boston Garden Game 7, Dominique had 47 points, and they lost by two again. I'm just not holding it against him. He averaged 31 for the series, but it's Bird and McHale Parrish on their last legs. So I'm not holding against Dominique that he was not able to get past teams that were just clearly and obviously more talented than him. Now, if he had more playoff success, he skyrockets up this list. I think a lot of people would argue that Dominique in a vacuum was better than Clyde Drexler, but Clyde Drexler went to three finals, two as the best player and won a title as the second best guy. So that part has to matter, but it can't be all that matters. Now go ahead. What's caller. I don't know who you are, but you're on live talking about Dominique Wilkins. Like obviously you're really thorough and you care a lot about rules and order when you put things together, you take these lists seriously. So For all the time we've spent on this, I just, I don't remember any of the qualifications being pointless victories in dunk contests 30 years ago. I just, for some reason, I don't recall that on the checklist. So, Dominique, seriously? Okay, so I know this caller, by the way, uh, and I don't know if we have the ability to at some point put up a shot of his shot. Demaze, I don't know if you noticed what I noticed there, but um, that's Gabe. And Gabe's got a very, you know, a palatial beach estate. He could have taken that video anywhere he wanted to. Do I think it's a coincidence or, you know, a happy accident that he took that video in front of not only a liquor cabinet, but a liquor cabinet that is prominently featuring two $200 bottles of Class a Azul tequila? I see you, Gabe. Also, yeah, I mean, look at that. That's not one. That's two. I mean, that's a good $3,000 worth of liquor just behind him. So that was a little distracting, but I understand Gabe trying to, you know, he's trying to pocket shame ever all the other callers. I understand. But Dominique, this is one of those things where Dom, the legend of that dunk contest overshadows how good he was. Again, 25 points per game for his career, number 14 on the all-time scoring list, and 28 points per game for a decade, and then loved hoop, loved basketball so much, my man went to Greece and was getting buckets when he was damn near 40. That, that doesn't really help you on this list, but it's relevant to me. So I think Dominique, when you ask guys who played against him, he was a dominant scorer. And so he's just barely ahead of Carmelo, dominant scorer of his era. I think Dominique was a touch better. And while Carmelo did make a conference finals, Dominique never did. Carmelo never had a game like in the playoffs like Dominique did. The 47 in game seven in the garden. Again, you're up 3-2 on Boston. You have a chance to finally exercise those demons. You go 35, 10, and 4 in game six and you lose by two. And then you score 47 out dueling bird and you lose by two again. I'm not holding that against you. We'll be right back with number 45. Welcome back in What's Right with Nick Wright podcast and YouTube show. We are counting down in a special series, the 50 greatest players of the last 50 years. We have given you guys 50 through 46, some previously in a different episode, some earlier in in this very episode, but we are now at number 45. Number 45 is a name everybody knows, and he at least has one game everybody knows, but I don't know if people know How big of a big game player big game James actually was. Number 45 is of course James Worthy. Number
1: 45, James Worthy.
0: Now he does not have the individual accolades to deserve to be on this list aside from that thing you see right there finals MVP in 1988 but he was only two time all NBA third team. He was never uh, top five or or top ten league MVP vote getter So how does he get here? Well, it's not like his individual numbers were bad. He averaged 20 and 6 for 8 years from from 1985 to 1992. But it is about his contribution to winning and the fact that he was at his best in the biggest spots, not just that famous Game 7 of the Finals. Let's go through it. He's a three-time champion with six Finals appearances. He was somewhere between the second or third best player on those teams, depending on the year we're talking about. 143 career playoff games. Okay? 143, almost two full seasons. Across all of those games, he is 37 minutes per game, 54% shooting on averages of 21, 5, and 3. So again, think about that. Across more than a decade of deep playoff runs, 21, 5, and 3 on 54% shooting. That's his playoff averages, which means His playoff averages are better than his regular season averages as far as minutes, field goal percentage, points. He got better in the biggest spots. 81 times he scored at least 20 in a playoff game. 81 times James Worthy scored at least 20 points in a playoff game to open the 1987 Finals against Boston. Now, keep in mind with the 87 Finals, that you're against Boston, his long rivalry, the '86 Celtics. Some people argue is the greatest team ever. How does he start those finals? 33, nine, and ten. The next year, how does he end the finals? And this is, I mean, this is where he got his nickname, Big Game James. 36, 16, and 10 in Game Seven of the finals against a Pistons team that would win the next two titles including sweeping the Lakers out the very next year. A dominant great Pistons team. Now, you feel badly for the Pistons. If you know anything about NBA history, game six was the Isaiah Thomas sprained ankle game. Probably should have won the series right there. They had a tough call go against them with the Kareem shot at the end of game six. But James Worthy can't control that. Control what he can control. 36, 16, and 10 in 44 minutes of a game seven of a finals. By the way, game four of the finals the next year, Magic is out with an injury, and James Worthy drops 40 points. So keep that in mind, that the first time Magic's not around for a key playoff game, now they end up losing, Detroit swept them. James Worthy drops 40 points. The playoff numbers are just absolutely out of this world. So I think people focus just on that Game 7, just on that Finals MVP. We're talking two seasons' worth of playoff games. Where he's 21-5-3 on 54%. Let's go to a caller who has a question about James Worth.
1: Hey, Nick. It's Matt from D.C. Just moved to L.A. where everyone is obsessed with the Lakers.
0: Okay, now I get it. Big game, James. He came through in the clutch in a lot of big playoff games. But he was always the second and third best guy on his own team, okay? He always had Magic or Michael or Kareem. If this guy played for any other team, nobody would have ever heard about him. So I don't think he belongs in the top 50, so... You owe us an apology, not me so much, Manute and Muggsy. So listen, much love for Manute and Muggsy, but I actually think that the opposite's true. I think if he played for another team, he'd have a bunch of All NBAs. He might have some top five MVP finishes. He's in the number one pick of a draft. He won. He, he's the best player on the national champion in college. Again, Michael Jordan, uh, you, the, his gravity pulls in all the accolades for everything. But the famous Carolina team that Jordan hit the game-winning shot for, James Worthy's best player on that team. Like, again, number one pick of a draft. It just happened to be the number one pick of the draft went to a Lakers team that was, you know, winning championships in the midst of, you know, had just won championship a couple years earlier. So because Magic and Kareem are there, and then Byron Scott later, he never got the volume other guys would get. But I think it's undeniable how clutch he was how productive he was, and how much of a key he was for what I believe to be the greatest team of the 1980s. And you could argue he was on the greatest team ever in the Lakers of the 80s. So I think number four, if anything, thinking about it, I might have ranked James too low, which brings us to a guy that the whole world has ranked too low.
1: Number 44, Sidney Moncrief.
0: So Sidney Moncrief is four-time... All-NBA second team. One-time All-NBA first team. And nobody knows this, but now you do. In the 1980s, what two teams had the best records? You probably know that. You're like, uh, the Lakers and the Celtics. Correct. What team had the third best record of the 80s? The Milwaukee Bucks. Did they have a bunch of stars? Nope. Marcus Johnson's a very good player, just made the Hall of Fame, and Sidney Moncrief. But so here's where we've got to give respect to defense. So Sidney Mongrief, two-time Defensive Player of the Year, while averaging 21 points per game in his prime. So this guy's giving you 20 points per game on better than 50% shooting. He's 6'4", and he's winning multiple Defensive Player of the Year's. He was top five MVP voting once. five-time All-Defense. He's the best player on a team that made the conference finals three times. And this is important. Much like we talked about with Dominique, here's who beat him in the playoffs. He got beat by Dr. J's Sixers four times, Bird Celtics three times, the Bad Boy Pistons twice, and Dominique Hawks once. He also beat Dominique Hawks two times. But Sixers, Dr. J's Sixers, Bird Celtics, and the Bad Boy Pistons, those aren't fair fights. And yet he was there deep playoff runs, semi deep playoff runs every year so let's go through some of these playoffs 1983 he swept bird celtics averaging 23 7 and 4 again while playing all-world defense it was and then that year they played the sixers they were the only team to take even one game off the sixers the reason the sixers didn't go fo 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 the way moses Malone said they would sixers the 83 sixers are arguably the greatest team ever the only team to beat them was Sidney Moncrief's Bucks? That's 1983, 1985. I know we're not allowed to talk about this, but it happened. He averaged 27 five and five while guarding a shooting guard you might have heard of named Michael Jordan, beating them three games to one. That happened. People act like it didn't happen. It happened. How could it happen? When Jordan was six and zero oh? because we don't count the times he lost in the six and zero oh. round one, 1985. Sidney Moncrief. Guarding Jordan, 27-5-5, his team wins three games to one. 1986, he had 23 in a game seven win while injured against um, Dr. J, an older Dr. J, admittedly, and a young Charles Barkley. And they beat the Sixers finally. 1987, down 3-1 to Bird, trying to beat Bird again. Had back-to-back playoff career highs of 33 and 34 to force a game seven that they then lost. So, I don't know how Sidney Moncrief, you average 21 a game for the prime of your career, and you win Defensive Player of the Year, and you beat Bird in a playoff series once, and you beat Michael in a playoff series once, and you beat Dr. J and Charles Barkley in a playoff series once, and you're on a team in the 80s that's relevant every single year, and yet you're not making the top 75 list? It's just criminal. Damonze, I know you have very strong Sidney
1: Moncrief opinions. What's up? I mean. This guy sounds like a good player. Yeah, but best player on a three-time conference finalist puts you at top fifty. I mean, Paul George did that. Okay. Um, are you are you really just trying to flex that you know older players? No, I'm
0: not trying to flex that I know older players. However, it, we must give respect to our elders that have earned it, and I understand the idea that he did the same thing technically that Paul George did, but he didn't it's not the same thing as what Paul George did and Paul George isn't a defensive player of the year. And Paul George doesn't have the moment Moncrief had. And so I, I just, he has been oddly forgotten to history. I, again, I want to restate this. People like I never made the finals. What was the year he was supposed to that when the Sixers were making them every year in the early eighties, or when the Celtics were making them every year in the mid eighties, or when the Pistons were making them every year in the late eighties, like there's That's what you had to go through. You had to go through Dr. J and Andrew, Tony, and Moses, and you had to go through Bird, McHale, and Parrish. Then you had to go through the bad boy Pistons. It was a stacked deck, two-time defensive player of the year. I think he was the second most egregious omission of the top 75 list the NBA just released. As it happens, the very most egregious omission of the NBA's top 75 list is our number 43 player on our countdown of the top 50 and we will reveal him next week.